time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in another episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. If you're listening, it's because you've downloaded. Hopefully, you've subscribed as well inside your Odyssey app, A U D A C Y, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hopefully, this isn't your first episode, but if it is, welcome aboard. Leave a rating, leave a review, and buckle in because it feels like it's only going to get bumpier from here. Uh, I am Chris Mack from the Fan Morning Show and Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan, joined a couple times a week by former Penguin Eric Tangrady, who is with me now. And Tango, before we dig into, and as we're recording this, by the way, it just happened a couple minutes ago, Kasperi Kapanen placed on waivers. Um, I would imagine that's probably just a move to set up a move at this point, but who knows with this management team. Before, though, we get into all of that, because all of that may change between the time we speak recording this podcast right now on Friday afternoon and the time people listen to it at some point over the weekend. Uh, Let's start with a bigger picture issue, and it is the idea of what the big picture is for this organization. And the Fenway Sports Group, since taking over about 15 months ago, has been very, very quiet about what their vision is for the aging Pittsburgh Penguins. They've asked Mario Lemieux to sort of serve a figurehead role uh, as his ownership stake was reduced. Mario has politely said, "Mm, I think I'm more than a figurehead around these parts. Thanks, but no thanks. Um, And John Henry, the principal of Fenway Sports Group, uh, the Boston Red Sox, Fenway Park, Liverpool United. um, uh, Let's see, Roush Keselowski Racing now as well. Um, has been conspicuously quiet. He hasn't necessarily been absent. I've been uh, shown photos by a couple of people on social media of John Henry in the locker room commemorating some of the big milestones for Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby that have taken place in the last year. So he's been around, but we haven't heard him say nary a word about what the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins is, Eric. And as a former member of the organization and now, Um, a resident of Western PA who I would think holds some pretty close ties to the organization. I'm just curious, are we starting to get to a point where ownership, specifically Fenway Sports Group, specifically John Henry, are going to have to start taking a more day-to-day role in this thing, or at least more than just an investor-type advisory role in this thing, as, like I said, the rocky road appears to have hit the rough patches here. Yeah, I, I, I'd be interested to see kind of who is that right-hand man. Because when you have some, you know, a portfolio as diverse as they have, being in basically all the major sports, um, it makes you wonder, like, what is he just uh, a fan of owning teams? Is he a hockey fan? Um, you know, a lot of times, yes, owners sit back and they let somebody guide them and direct them. Um, for me, it just felt like we were in such a good place with how our ownership was prior, Mean, you know, being there a former legend NHL legend someone who actually cared was vested in the organization who could make those hard decisions uh it it just makes me question like what truly is the future um because you know when you look across the across the river at a a team that's just looking at a team to uh 
we'll just well, the Pirates looking at as a, a team to just make money. Is right. that what the Penguins is now? Is the Penguins just uh, you know we're looking at ROI or are we looking at the, the the true love of the organization, the the history, the tradition, and, and getting back to a certain standard that that program used to be. Yeah, and if there's one point in time where you don't want to feel rudderless, it's in a transition point, right? An inflection point like this organization is at right now, where uh, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, all committed to by the organization, but also all getting older. And as much as they've been the reasons or some of the main reasons for this team's success, as limited as that success has been this year, they are still the big three and the reason this team has found any success uh, the past couple of years, even if it feels like it hasn't been enough. So that being said, if those guys are still at the core of this thing going forward and you've got to rebuild around them, which it sounds like the organization wants to do, I guess the next question is, are Brian Burke and Ron Hextall the right guys to be leading that rebuild? Um, and as much as, as vocal as he was when they first got the jobs, uh, Brian Burke has, has quieted down a lot over the last year or so. Ron Hextall has always been quiet uh, and doesn't necessarily embrace with the media the way his predecessor did. Jim Rutherford loved talking to people and telling them exactly what he was thinking to a fault a lot of times. Um, the, the lack of direction is worrisome, especially when you can't get a bead on what the guys who are the decision makers think ought to be happening. And we have no idea right now what Burke and Hextall are thinking other than to go on Hextall's public comments of a couple weeks ago, which were, I like my team on paper. Well, apparently that has started to change as they've put Kasperi Kapanen on waivers here on Friday afternoon. Right. Uh, I'm with you. Like everything you just said was kind of just like revolving and like going in like a full circle. And that's how I think we all feel as fans and as media members right now. Like what what's going on? What is their direction? Just some sort of clarity. If they just came out tomorrow and said, we're going to rebuild. I think people would just take a deep breath and say, we hate it, but at least we know where we're headed and what the right. direction is. Uh, and, I, you know, I look at it back at some of the success that Hextall had as a GM and you look at L.A., their cup runs. Like all I can think about is like young prospects who just came up and made a huge impact built around superstars. Um, that's something that they don't have right now in the organization. So uh, are, are is management quiet right now because they actually are in the same situation that we are, where there's just no actual direction and, and vision and, and guidance on what they actually want to be? Are we just protecting our jobs? There's just so many factors right now that go into this team. And, and last night just was really, really, um, it was hard to watch, but it's almost like, okay, maybe there's our answer. Like maybe yeah. this team is not where it needs to be. Uh, I believe there are a lot of people that, are on hot seats this morning after that effort at home against a team um, like Edmonton uh, called statement game throughout the season. Uh, I, I'm like, I'm lost for words. And, and, you know, as you just mentioned, like what's the vision of direction, it was just like, I, I picture like the, that scene in the hangover where Alan's doing the, the algorithms in his head because he can count <laughs> cards. Like, it's like, it shouldn't be that complicated. You know, it's, no. it's pretty, it's pretty black and white at this point. Like we either, feel like we have the foundation to win and we're going to go all in and continue to do that and build around the core, or we're just going to have to maintain the status quo of, of trying to find ways to, to build the future while having these guys. There's no in between. Yeah. And that's the, the tough part is you're right. The, 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 the loss to Edmonton felt like I, I turned to my wife at one point during the game and said, this feels like the beginning of the end. Like 
um and she said the beginning of the end of what what so okay so they don't make the playoffs i was like no like the beginning of the end of an era like this is this feels a whole lot more weighty than just an ugly seven to two loss at home to Connor mcdavid and the oilers like you lose seven to two to Connor mcdavid and the oilers okay you can kind of chalk it up and say he's the best player in the world all that um and you had a bad night but no this was more weighty you're right it was one of those ones that left you wondering as we keep saying what's the direction where do we go from here not just now not just in the next week before the trade deadline but where do we go next year where do we go for the next three to five years and beyond as and and if you break it down and sort of tear it out the first tier of that decision is what do we do in the next week with the trade deadline approaching we've now got stories circulating that maybe Mike Sullivan wants to be in on a big name at the trade deadline like a Jacob Chikrin but Ron Hextall doesn't want to move the picks necessary to get a guy who is a young impact defenseman top pairing defenseman who you'd have under control for a while um, so that's the immediacy of it. You see, like I said earlier, Kasperi Kapanen being waived. Uh, you have Ron Hextall saying a, a few weeks ago, I don't want to trade a first round pick. All of this is swirling about for a team that it feels like should have no business being a buyer right now. I get the games in hand and the standings and all that. They haven't done jack with those games in hand. They've fumbled those away or started to fumble them away. It feels like a team that should be retooling for next year. And I, I guess essentially punting on this season, for lack of a better way to put it, and trying to find a way to put a better set of players around the core three that are already in place. Absolutely. I mean, we saw what Washington just did, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, we feel like we're at a higher standard as an organization than Washington, but them just putting their chips on the table, being in a playoff race, they've, they've identified to their fan base. Like if we can't win a cup, we don't really no, We don't really care. Right. And I think that, 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 you know, as a rival, but at the same time as a hockey fan, like I was pretty, pretty aspiring, like, okay, you know what? You actually have a chance to make the playoffs. You have Ovechkin, you still sell tickets. You still have a fan base, but you're willing to understand the dynamic of what the next three to five years looks like of your organization. And we're going to move, Orloff, Hathaway, uh, and we're going to get assets in return. Now, to me, that is identifying to a fan base a clear picture of where you're headed. So there's kind of the writing on the wall. Like, I feel like capping it on waivers, yes. Does that add value for a team that maybe want to take a flyer on him and risk starting him on a, in the minors and pretty much being a no-risk trade? Sure, but I feel like that's putting a Band-Aid on the bigger issue at hand and, and is whether it's um, where is the leadership coming from? And I'm not mentioned, like I'm not talking about the locker room. I think that's already been identified, but it's just where is the leadership coming from top to bottom on what the direction is? Well, and, and I have a serious question too about, you know, look, w- when we talk about the moves Ron Hextall and Brian Burke have made since they came in, when you start to identify problems or mistakes, you go back to, Moves they made right after they came in when Jared McCann and Brandon Tanev were laid out on a platter for Seattle. Um, and those were the kind of moves like you imagine. I imagine a third. Like, I, I don't know if you were like me, but I was watching uh, who was it? Seattle, Vancouver the other night. And I'm looking at at one point all on the ice at the same time were Jared McCann. Uh, I believe the shift after that may have been Tanev because they're not playing on the same line. But Daniel Sprong was out there at one point. Nick Benino's out there. And you're sitting there watching just a raft of guys, not to even mention Justin Schultz and Jamie Alexiak, who were Penguins for a while as well. 
you're watching this raft of guys that could have been third line forwards for this team right now as it's currently constructed and their biggest Achilles heel is the third line. And so all of Ron Hextall's mistakes are put on display right there in one game, essentially. And I'm just gritting my teeth, looking at my TV. And again, my poor wife who's sitting there watching hockey next to me is like, why are you mad at a Seattle uh, at a Seattle game? What, what, what is wrong with you? And I was like, look at this, look at all these guys. But I don't know if I want Ron Hextall to be the guy to execute the next three to five years, I guess is my point, because the last few years have not been executed correctly. Yeah, there's been some some bright spots here and there, uh, but I, I don't know if I trust him to be the guy that as we start to look beyond the next week and beyond the next offseason to be the guy to put them in a better place in three to five years as we approach the end, the legitimate end of the Crosby, Malkin, Latang era. And, and I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I'm not totally comfortable with Ron Hextall being that guy right now. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, it's kind of a, it's a what have you done for me lately business. Sure, success in the past, that's great. That's all that's all good. But you know, we watched Dan Balsma get fired from this city. We got Mike Sullivan who may go down as the best coach that's ever coached the Pittsburgh Penguins and, you know, at at some point he his time may come to an end. Like we are in a results oriented business where you're judged off of the things you have done lately and and I, again, the McCann thing it was perplexing more than ever like an ideal third line is guys that can provide and and are versatile they can play that role they can they can own those minutes play play deep into the playoffs and then if somebody gets hurt in the top six you have somebody to fill in like that to me was an easy decision to make but obviously it's quite easy for me to say that now but no i I just think some of the decision making uh and and some of the terms of these deals will have to he'll have to be judged by those things unless he comes out and gives us some sort of feedback and direction that will make us think otherwise now you mentioned uh, you can't really put the lack of leadership on the guys in the room i agree the 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 guys with the letters on the front of their jerseys crosby malkin Latang. I think have held up their end of the bargain this year. You got a couple of point per game guys in Crosby and Malkin, despite their age, who still are the reason this team wins, a large part of the reason this team wins when they do win. You've got Chris Letang, who's still having a really good year. Look, nobody played well against Edmonton on Thursday night. Let's not like pretend let's not pretend like anybody did, but those guys have been few of the the, the few of the bright spots for this team this year. The one thing that's left in between the locker room and the stars and the upper management uh, portion of this question is the guy in the middle, Mike Sullivan. The Penguins are committed to him, though. They just re-upped his contract in the past year. He's actually got more term on his contract right now than the GM, which is interesting if if stories about disagreements about whether to go after certain players are true or not. You wonder who actually holds the leverage in those conversations. Um, but again, we don't know who's calling the shots above Burke, so who knows? Um Point being, I have a hard time cutting my nose off to spite my face and saying Mike Sullivan is more a part of the problem than a part of the solution. He tried to very carefully toe the line after the Oilers game at one point saying, well, our roster is our roster. Essentially, kind of, that's the most passive aggressive thing I've ever heard the guy say, really. And it wasn't even that very, it wasn't that passive aggressive, but essentially saying, the hell you want me to do with this bunch especially in the bottom six but then later uh, saying well you know I believe the solutions are in that room talking about the guys on his roster currently I guess just on the whole Eric when you look at Mike Sullivan the NHL all too often take treats head coaches as disposable items but this seems to be a guy 
who still resonates. Do you get the feeling that he is still resonating with the guys in the room and not just the guys that, again, are the leadership of the room, but is he resonating with the the Blugers and the O'Connors and, you know, uh, the, the Carters of the world? Or is this starting to fall on some deaf ears in the room? And do they have to consider, even though Mike Sullivan is a very good coach, do they have to consider a different direction? I would say no to a different direction. I, I think the problem may be, and, and again, this is speculation, but I mean, I watched the interview last week where it was kind of, I'm defending my third line, but I'm also telling you like, you know, some days they've been good and some days they haven't been good. And we're trying mm-hmm. to find consistency. Like he's always been the type of coach that like backs his locker room and backs his team. And this is probably the first time I've seen since he's been in Pittsburgh where you're getting those little inklings of frustration and his frustration is, totally different than a Tortorella frustration. Like he's not a shoot off the hip. You can tell he's very methodical with the way he answers questions. Um, I don't think he's the problem. I think he has too much. He's had too much success. I think he does have a good relationship with the leadership. Uh, I think their, their vision uh, and goals are alike and the same. He's in win now mode every single year. I don't know if he is the right coach for the type for a rebuild. Um, But at the same time, if he were to get, if he were to leave the Penguins tomorrow, like somebody would fire their coach in the NHL and make him the head coach the next day. Like, I think he's that well-respected and that good of an ice hockey coach. Um, so to answer, answer that question, like, I, I think there may be a little bit of coming back into the room of like, wow, this is the first time coach is actually showing like, maybe we're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Because if you watch that interview, like the same thing, the roster's the roster, like, that's not the same like, oh, we're a good enough team to win the cup. We're just not playing well enough. Like we don't we haven't really heard a whole lot of that like we have in years past. Yeah, that's true. It, it's 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 something when Mike Sullivan actually shows what for him, I guess, is a little bit of emotion. He does such a good job of being so even keel and he's done such a great job of translating it to his players over the years that even when you get what is, I guess, amounts to a a pissed off Sidney Crosby as you did Thursday night. It's not really, the guy doesn't really come off as what would typically be pissed off. It's just Sid basically being a little short and abrupt and not necessarily answering questions. They're so good at playing even keel. You almost wonder if it's a detriment sometimes that when they actually do need to be pissed off, they don't bring it. Like you're not getting a Michelle Terry and they say they care rant out of Mike Sullivan. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and and again, that may be something like in the room may be totally different. And I think that's where, um, you know, I know, as I just mentioned, we're in a results oriented business, but like you trying to make best of what you have. And if your bottom six isn't going to contribute and provide like that's not an X's and O's thing. I don't watch this game and see breakdowns of X's and O's. I see individual mental breakdowns throughout shifts, um, you know, a lack of confidence, drive, determination, like when we're teaching high school kids or college kids, like, yeah, you do things to instill confidence, but we're in the national hockey league. Like we're big boys making big bucks. Like that's not a coach's job to be in there. I'm like, come on, you got this. You're going to score tonight. Like, no, this is, this is, this is the big league. So again, I think, I think when I watch them and I I can clearly identify the way that they're trying to play. And then I just see some players execute it and some not. So that to me, that doesn't go back on the coach. Before I let you run and go enjoy the weekend. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Now answer the question first and and give kind of filibuster just a second to give you time to formulate an answer. But the question is quite simply, are the Pittsburgh Penguins going to make the playoffs this year? Um, My answer to that question is, I I think they're done. I think they're cooked this year. And, and, And it's, again, through no fault, I don't think, of Crosby, Malkin, 
or Latang or even Mike Sullivan. I, I think this has all been built up by upper management, keeping guys around who were either past their prime like Jeff Carter or guys who maybe never found their prime like Kasperi Kapanen or a guy who I don't know if he'll ever be quite what they expected he could be, what some of us thought he could be in Tristan Jari, who didn't exactly bathe himself in glory Thursday night against the Oilers as well. I get it was Connor McDavid, all that. But the point is, I don't think this team's bound for the postseason this year. And I think, if anything, it should serve as the kind of wake-up call at the in the final quarter or third of Malkin's and Crosby's careers that does set the organization back in the right direction to give them one more legitimate shot at the cup before they retire. My fear is actually that they do somehow back into the playoffs and that they do, you know, maybe put up a little bit of a fight in the first round and push Boston or Carolina to six or seven games. And everybody looks around, or at least people in upper management look around and say, Oh, see, it was just, we just went through some doldrums between January 1st and March 1st and everything's going to be all right. And they don't make any major moves in the off season to fortify around the core. I don't want to say I want to see my favorite hockey team miss the playoffs for the first time in 17 years, but it might be what's best for this team right now. Do you, do you think they make it? I agree with everything that you've said, but I just have watched Sidney Crosby just do incredible things for so many years yeah. that I'm just going to go and say, they're going to make the playoffs based on this guy, just showing up and having another gear like he's already playing unbelievable hockey but once we get into crunch time you know 25 games to play and he starts playing 25 plus minutes a night i think that he will literally that top that top line malkin uh, you know the top six will somehow some way carry this team into the playoffs and unfortunately it's inevitable i don't see them again i think the peak of what's going to happen is in, an inspiring sticks maybe possibly a game seven in round one but yeah that I don't, I don't see much more than that but I just I have just seen 87 with his back against the wall just drive his motivation just internally he just does not accept no as an answer so I just I expect to see some of the best hockey that we've seen out of, out of him in the next coming weeks and I don't think it's what's best for the organization but I again like I I've just seen this guy do incredible things and I I I actually excited to see it again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, if if he can drag this team kicking and screaming at his age, uh at the age of 35 to the playoffs, basically throwing things on his back for six weeks, it will be possibly one of the finer chapters of Sidney Crosby's career, even if it doesn't necessarily end up leading to anything, any hockey in the month of May or beyond. Tango, I'm going to let you run it. And like I said, enjoy the weekend. Hopefully, uh, there's some better stuff to talk about. Although the next handful of games aren't any easier. Yeah, they got St. Louis on Saturday, but a couple of games against Tampa. Uh, the deadline now just a week away from the point when we're talking right now, almost exactly a week away. So we'll see if they can get things together. We'll see if Ron Hextall actually does anything more than a couple of waiver wire maneuvers. But uh, we'll definitely have plenty to talk about when we get back together on Monday. Yeah, we will have tons to talk about. And as the week progresses, we'll definitely kind of hopefully get some answers to this narrative of what's what's the direction of the Penguins is. And right. um, 
I'm excited too to see what other teams in the East, what type of moves they make to, to like we saw Washington basically say we're out. We've got mm-hmm. the Islanders who are pretty much Islanders are showing that they're all in for not just now but the future. Um, so be exciting to just talk about the, the hockey world in general too and seeing what direction certain teams are going. It certainly feels like by the time people listen to this, maybe if not by the time we get back together on Monday, it'll be Patrick Kane to New York and a few other big maneuvers as well. So, Eric, thanks for the time, man. I'll catch up with you again on Monday. Awesome, Chris. Thanks. Great stuff with Eric Tangrady, as always. He joins us a couple times a week here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. As I mentioned, you know, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, so who knows what else is going to happen between the time we record it and you listen to it. Of course, there's the Blues game. There's the Lightning game. Then there's one against Nashville. Then another one against Tampa. So we'll talk about what to expect over the course of the next week. And again, the general sense of where this organization may or may not be headed when we catch up with Hunter Hodes, host of Locked On Penguins, a little Penguin podcast crossover coming at you here. Hunter joins me next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff.